0: Welcome to Unlocking the Truth, the podcast by Precept Ministries Canada. You could know God deeply and live differently by studying His Word and discovering God's truth for yourself. You are listening to a series called Jesus' Message to the Seven Churches that goes through Revelation chapters 1 through 3. And here's Mark Sheldrake with episode 4, The Church at Smyrna. Hello everyone, this is Mark Sheldrake here, National Director of Precept Ministries in Canada. So glad you're tuning in to another episode of the Unlocking the Truth podcast. We are working our way through the first three chapters of the book of Revelation, looking at the seven churches. Uh, A couple weeks ago in our first episode, we did an overview. We've looked at uh, chapter one by itself. We have looked at the church at Ephesus last week. And this week, we're looking at the church at Smyrna. All right, so before we begin, though, I just want to take a moment and tell you about some things that are happening uh, soon. First of all, we are back in doing live training. I cannot wait to do live training with folks. Uh, We're going to be in British Columbia at the end of June If you want to uh, join us, we'll be in Langley and also in Nanaimo. We're going to be walking through how to study a New Testament letter using the book of 2 Peter. You can find out more information and register with us online, preceptministries.ca. Also, we are going to Israel. How exciting. We're going to be headed to Israel in 2023, just 200 and something days away Until we'll be in the Holy Land for the Israel tour. Also going to be going to Jordan to visit Petra. Oh man, if you've never had the opportunity to go to the Holy Land, visit Petra. Maybe you've seen Indiana Jones in the last crusade. Yes, that is the area. uh, Petra is where Harrison Ford and Sean Connery go. And they look for the uh, golden cup, right? To save his life. Oh, I could get into this whole thing about Indiana Jones, but no time for that. But you can join us and follow along uh, on our website about the Israel tour. We would love to have you. We are partnering with another precept ministry in Singapore and uh, looking forward to that trip. We have some space left on the bus. And if you want more information, go to the website, look for the Israel link and uh, you can uh, find out about all the wonderful places that we will visit on that trip. All right, let me take some time here, some important time, and let's seek the Lord as we are going to uh, walk into these uh, second chapter of Revelation again. Father, we do thank you for the time that you have given us, this this technology as well, that we can uh, record this, and it can go on different platforms, and people can listen uh, while they drive or while they're uh, doing the things that they need to accomplish. Maybe maybe someone's running down the road right now listening to this podcast, and we're so thankful that uh, this is a great uh, tool for us to engage uh, in your Word. So, Father, I pray that as we, we look at uh, our next church today, that you would guide us through the Scriptures, that you would Show us the important application we need to apply to our lives. And most importantly, Lord, that we would glorify you in all that we say and do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, here we are uh, back into the book of Revelation in chapter 2. Uh, last week, we, last episode, we looked at the uh, church at Ephesus, that church that lost their first love. And we saw that Jesus had called them to repent and return to their the way that they were. So I'm gonna start titling some of these churches, and I'm gonna put put labels to them so that we can better understand all of the churches that we're gonna look at, and something that you can draw to your memory uh, when you look back at these uh, churches later on, uh, or if you continue to study them. I hope and pray though that you are looking at the scriptures uh, and studying along. Maybe you're using the precept book or uh, one of the other materials we have in the book of Revelation to to follow along with us, because it's one thing to hear, but it's also uh, fantastic to see and do at the same time. We'll retain more. We learn more. We remember more when we uh, dig into the scriptures as well for ourselves, and then use tools like this to, to benefit uh, our study, okay? So here, here's one for you, the Ephesus Church. We're going to now, from from this day forward, we're going to call that church the Backsliding Church. The Backsliding Church, why? Why are they the Backsliding Church? They started so well. They were running so well when they started, but then Jesus says, I have this against you that you lost your first love. Get back to what you were doing in the very beginning. And so uh, backsliding church, good description for them. moving backwards instead of moving forwards. All right, this week though, this episode, we're looking at the church at Smyrna. All right, so uh, you probably think to yourself and I know we're we're butchering that that word. But uh, here's how you can pronounce it according to to the to the Greek translators who read this. All right. It's the church at Zmorna. All right. The church at Zmorna. You have a instead of an S, you've got the the Z sound coming from the beginning. This church right here. All right. We're going to see as we work through this, this church carries its title well as the suffering church. All right. So keep that in mind. We've we've looked at the backsliding church, and now we're looking at the suffering church. Let me let me remind you. Here's the structure of how we're breaking down each of the podcasts with the with these churches. We're gonna look at the historical background. We're gonna look at the description of Jesus. We're gonna look at the commendation, the reproof, the action that must be taken and then the promise that comes for the overcomer. All right, let me just repeat that to you one more time so you allow that to sink in so that every time you come back and tune into Revelation, uh, this podcast, you're going to remember that we're taking the same structure all the way through. Okay, We're going to give the background. We're going to give the description that Jesus has. We're going to look at the commendation. We're going to look at the reproof the action that must be taken, and the promise that comes for the over, for the overcomer. Uh, All right, so here we go. Let's take a look at the background of this church. All right, so the church at Zmurna. All right, so uh, if you have Blue Letter Bible app, you can go and and you can open it up, and you can look to the text, and you can click on the word, and the guy will pronounce it for you. It's absolutely amazing right no more can we have the excuse of butchering names when we can get that guy to read it for us all right the church at smurna all right this is a church that would be in the modern day uh city of izmir turkey all right so this church uh is would be located in modern day turkey uh at the time that this church came into existence This was a very wealthy port location, all right? Heavy trading was happening here. Uh, It was also one of the most important Roman cities of the area, all right? So uh, there was three main cities that were constantly competing to be considered the most important city Within this uh, Roman area, okay, here's the the three cities that were competing: Smyrna, Pergamum, and Ephesus. All of these cities competed with each other for who would be the best city, the number one location uh, within the Roman province. Okay, so it's very important that we we know that because as we see, as Jesus is going to lay out his description that we get a good understanding of that. All right, the other thing that's important to note here is that this place in Smyrna was a place of emperor worship, okay? Because it was a Roman uh, city, the place was filled with uh, Roman emperor worship. There was a a temple that was dedicated to Tiberius Caesar, in this location, all right? So it was important to to worship the the people that were in charge. In this area also, a large population of Jewish people. But here's the thing. The people, and we'll see this as we break it down, but many of these Jewish people, they cooperated with the city leaders, all right? The, The pagan leaders of Zmurna, and they put themselves together to persecute Christians. All right, Polycarp, uh, the bishop of Zmorna, he was martyred for his faith in 165 uh, AD. All right, uh, the gospel may have come to this church through the church at Ephesus. All right, that's one, one uh, theory scholars have is that the, the gospel traveled from Ephesus Outward, and it reached the people of Zmurna. All right, so all of these things vital for us to understand as Jesus begins to lay out his um, view of this church. Remember that as we're looking at all these churches, Jesus is doing an X-ray of the church. He's looking at the internal of the church, not just the external things. But he's looking at the internal, and he's evaluating the church based on what he sees on the x-ray. Okay, so let's go into the text now, and let's look at what uh, we see coming up in verse uh, verse 8. All right, he says, And to the angel of the church at Smyrna, write this, uh, The first and the last who was dead... And has come to life, uh, says this. Pause. We're not going any further than that right now. I mean, we could read the whole thing, but we need to stop because the the significance of the description of Jesus found in verse eight. Uh, this could become an entire podcast of its own. All right, we could just look at that one verse and spend an hour on it. All right, so let's let's look at um what he says first about himself, okay? The first thing he says, Jesus says that he is the first and the last, all right? So this, this term, first and last, is used three times in the book of Revelation, all right? So I'm going to take you to those three locations of where this first and last is used in Revelation. Now remember, all of the descriptions that Jesus has for each of the churches, always lead us back into chapter 1 and show us uh, what John was writing when he saw Jesus in the first place. But verse 17, chapter 1, verse 17, he says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. He placed his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid, because I am the first and the last. All right, so there's your there's one reference that Jesus says he's the first and the last. The second is in the text that we're looking at, chapter 2, verse 8. The first and the last who was dead and has come to life. All right, the next time we see the first and the last in the book of Revelation is all the way at the end of the book in Revelation chapter 22, verse 13. He says, "Behold, I am coming quickly." My reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. So you're seeing this pattern all the way through Revelation that's telling us that Jesus is the first and he is the last. All right, this, this description, it can take us back all the way into the Old Testament, All right, we're going to go back and we're going to see this description of the first and last and how it applies all the way back into Isaiah chapter 41. Okay, and here's what it says in Isaiah 41 verse 4. He says, Who has performed an accomplishment, accomplished it, calling forth the generation from the beginning? I, the Lord, am the first and with the last... I am he. What is God saying here? He's the first and the last. Okay, Isaiah chapter 44. Uh, Isaiah 44, verse 6. Listen to what is written here. It says, uh, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts I am the first and I am the last. There is no god besides me. All right? Do you see do you see a pattern rolling here through? Okay, what about Isaiah chapter 48 verse 12? In 48 verse 12, God says, "Listen to me, O Jacob, even Israel, whom I called. I am he, I am the first, and I am also the last." What what we're seeing here in this statement of Jesus saying, "I am uh, the first and the last, I'm the beginning, I'm the end. this is this is a connection to to Jesus Christ's divinity that he is God. He is the one and only true God. All right we we see this again and Paul Paul addresses this in Colossians. And so let's take a look at Colossians chapter 1 uh, verses 15. To 18. And listen to what Paul uh, writes and describes of Jesus. He says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him. And for him, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's the head of the body of the church, and he's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. All right. So when we when we hear this, that Jesus begins this letter to Zmorna, and he says, "I am the first and the last." He's telling us that he wants to remind the church that Jesus is the source of all things, that he is the source of all things that start, and he's the source of all things that end. He's the sovereign one who's over all of creation, and he is eternal. All of these things that draw out of this first little statement where he says, I am the first and the last. I mean, it just I mean, you could see how you could spend an entire time just focusing on that statement of first and last from this entire podcast. We could we could go on for hours talking about how Jesus has preeminence over everything. He is the first most important. All right? Let's let's take a look at what Paul also addresses. Uh, this in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15. All right, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, verses 20 to 26. Paul begins to uh, lay out this order, and he's going to show us this order of first and last and the importance that it is for Jesus. He says, but now Christ has been raised from the dead. Uh, He's the first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ is the firstfruits, and after that, those who are Christ's at his coming. Then comes the end, which when he hands over the kingdom to the God and Father when he abolished all rule and authority and power. He must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be abolished is death, for he has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when he says uh, all things are put in subjection, it is evident that he is accepted who put all things in subjection to him." When all things are subjected to him, then the son himself will also be subjected to the one who subjected all things to him so that God may be all and all. <gasps> Whoa, that is so much to, to pull in and just kind of breathe and think on for a minute. But let me let me break this down for you. Let me pull this together so that we can understand how Jesus says in Revelation that he is the first and the last. All right, then let's look at what Paul says here. Okay, in verse 20, he says, Christ has been raised from the dead. What is he? He's the first fruit. He's the first one to be resurrected uh, from the dead. Okay, so we have him that, keep in mind, you're probably thinking to yourself, well, wait a minute, there were other people that were resurrected from the dead. I remember Lazarus. Jesus brought him out of the tomb, resurrected from him from the dead. But wait a minute, guess what? Lazarus died again. Jesus is one who is the first to be resurrected from the dead, never to die again. This is what we're talking about here. He is the first fruits of those who will never die again. All right, So first and foremost, He uh, rose from the dead. He is the first fruits of that. Okay? So uh, Jesus is first in being raised from the dead, and then the second that are raised from the dead are all those who believe in him at his second coming, okay? This is what's going to happen. When he comes, all will be raised, all right? So this is uh, very important, what Paul is telling us here. Okay, here's the order of events, okay? This is really great. What he says uh, in verse 24, then comes the end, Oh, man, what are we we talking about here? Okay, we're talking about the end end. He says, here's what's going to happen. All right, so it tells us, but we want to read this backwards. Okay, we want to read the order of events uh, backwards. All right, so listen to to how we could put this into a timeline. Okay, so uh, first and foremost, uh, he is going to reign... And he is going to put his enemies under his feet. Uh, and then we're going to learn about the last one. Okay, so look at verse 25. It says, For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. All right, and then look what it says. The last enemy will be uh, that will be abolished is death. All right, so for putting the order of a of the end together. He he must reign. He's going to reign, and he's going to put all his enemies under his foot, and then his last enemy uh, will be death. Okay, now look what else he's going to do. During his reign, verse 24, uh, then comes the end uh, when he re- hands over the kingdom of God and the Father, when he has abolished all rule and authority and power. Uh, these are the things He's going to abolish all rule and authority. And then he's going to hand over uh, the kingdom to God. That's the the third thing that he's going to do. He's going to reign until he puts his enemies under his feet, the last enemy being death. During his reign, he's going to abolish all authority, and then he's going to hand the kingdom over to God. Jesus is the first, most Important. He's preeminent over all things, and we know that through his death, he abolished death and his resurrection. Through his death and resurrection, he abolished death. Okay, let's go to Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, verses 22 to 32, uh, we see that the Jewish people are being addressed uh, concerning uh, the death, burial, and resurrection of jesus christ now listen to what is being said here he says men of israel listen to these words jesus the nazarene a man attested to you by god with miracles and wonders and signs which he performed through him in your midst just as you yourselves know this man was delivered over by the predetermined plan and the foreknowledge of god okay well wait a minute uh, this was God's plan from the very beginning, to send Jesus to the cross to be killed for sin, predetermined plan, and the God and for and by the foreknowledge of God. Now listen to what, what he says to the Jews: You nailed to a uh, this is the one you nailed to the cross by the hands of godless men, and put him to death. All right, so uh. We have here that what happened was by God's predetermined plan, he used the Jewish people and he used uh, all those involved in our in our Easter story to do what? Put Jesus to death. Uh, but, verse 24, you have to love those buts in Scripture. They either have good things or bad things that come after them. This is an amazing thing that comes, verse 24. But God raised him up again putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. Uh, what, 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 what did it say in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 20-26? Uh, that he was going to abolish all authority. That he was going to put all of his enemies under his feet. And the last enemy that he would take care of and get rid of was death. And what did Jesus do by the work of the cross? When he went to the cross, he he died for our sins, when he was buried for three days, and when, when God raised him from the dead, death had no power over him, nor does it have any power over those who believe in him. I mean, this is absolutely amazing stuff that we see here. And he says, look at uh, verse 25. For David says of him, I saw the Lord always in my presence, for he's in my right hand so that I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue exalted. Moreover, my flesh also will live in hope because you will not abandon my soul to Hades nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Now listen to what Paul says regarding what David just laid out here. Paul says, brethren, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he died and he was buried and he is in that tomb with us today. He is there. He died and did not come back from the dead. And so because he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on the throne. He looked ahead and he spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades nor did his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus, God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses, Uh, therefore having been exalted to the right hand of God, having received the father the promise of the holy spirit he poured forth this which you both see and hear <laughs> what 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 what's happening here is is peter is just laying this out and he's showing the preeminence of jesus christ he he's showing that even though that they knew jesus walked the earth they did not recognize him as the messiah but jesus was killed on the cross, that he was buried for three days, he rose again, and he defeated and abolished all authority that death had. I mean, this is amazing. This is why when Jesus comes and he says, I'm the first and the last, he's the first fruit of those who have been raised again to life for eternity. We, we just want to pause and, and stop and pick up one point here. And he says, he looked in verse 31, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh uh, suffer decay. Uh, Hades here is not hell. All right, this is not hell. But we see later in Revelation chapter 20, it tells us that death and Hades... Were thrown into the lake of fire, uh, death and Hades. Hades is uh, a place for the departed spirits. It's a it's a dwelling place of those who have departed. But most importantly, we don't want to get off on all these rabbit trails, or we'll be we'll be here forever. This description of Jesus that he is the first and the last. He. This is showing us that he is the beginning and he is the end. He is sovereign over all things. And then he reminds the church as a part of this that Jesus is preeminent over all things but he's also the one who was put to death and he was brought back to life. I find that this description of Jesus, this first part, the first and the last, is so vital for us to understand this doctrine of the firstborn. It's important for us to know this about Jesus Christ, but I find it even vitally more important for the for the part of the hope for this church, that when he says, I was the one who was put to death, and I have been brought back to life. This is so important for this church. Why? Because this is the suffering church. This is the church that is suffering for the gospel of Jesus Christ. All right, now let's look at the commendation of uh, Jesus to this church. Here's the x-ray. I'm looking in. I'm seeing what's going on in this church. He says, I know your tribulation and your poverty. (laughs) You know, okay, well, here we go. Let's just Break these down uh, before we move any further. First, tribulation. Uh, the Greek in understanding and the definition is to crush and press together. It's to squeeze and it is to break. All right. So I know you're squeezing, you're pressing together, uh, you're being brought to the to the breaking point. All of these things, he says, I know that you are suffering. I know that you are being crushed. I know that you are being persecuted. I know that you are being struck down. All of these things that uh, are happening to this church. But he also says, I also know about your poverty. Uh, he says, You're poverty, but you are rich. Well, let's look at the first part first, which is uh, your poverty. Uh, the poverty in the Greek is uh, comes from the root beggary. It means to be destitute or to be in extreme poverty. All right? So extreme poverty uh, for what you're doing. Yet, but you are rich. We'll come to that in just in just a moment. All right? Probably before we come to the end. All right? Now, Jesus knew a few things about suffering. Okay. He knew about suffering. And I want to look at some of these verses in, in the scriptures where it tells us about how much Jesus knew about tribulation. All right. So let's go to John chapter 15, uh, verses 18 to 20. So John 15, uh, 18 to 20, and listen to what, uh, is written here. Okay. Uh, it says, this I command you. He says, love one another. All right, just previous to that, there's just this powerful verse. It says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you go out and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give you. Uh, Then you have greater is he that lays down his life uh, for his friends. But then he says in verse 18, if the world hates you, You know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a slave is not greater than his master. If they persecute me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. Uh, what is this? What does this tell us? The world hates us. The world hates us because we are associated with Jesus. All right, so suffering comes because... We are associated with Jesus, and the world hates Jesus. All right, let's go to Second Timothy chapter three, uh, verse twelve. So, Second Timothy chapter three, verse twelve, it says, "Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus—wait for it—will be persecuted." All right, not notice it doesn't say some uh, some people who live. Uh, on the other side of the world where where the gospel is is forbidden, they will suffer. No, no. All those who want to live a godly life will be persecuted, okay? So you can guarantee that if you determine to live by the truth of God's word, that you're going to hold to these truths no matter what comes around you, you will be persecuted for your faith. Why? Because you're associated with Jesus, and the world hates Jesus, First uh, Peter chapter 2 uh, verse 21. So 1 Peter 2 uh, verse 21. Listen to what Peter says. Uh, for you have been called for this purpose. Since Christ also suffered for you, he's leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. Okay. Well, suffering for Jesus is inevitable. But what did Jesus do? Jesus gave us an example. Uh, to follow. He, he showed us a way to suffer well. Uh, verse 22, He committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. Uh, while suffering, he uttered no threats, but he kept entrusting himself uh, to him who judges the righteous. All right, so he kept his eyes focused on the Father. Suffering is inevitable for, the, for those who are uh, clearly associated with Jesus. All right, First uh, Peter chapter 4, uh, verses 12 and verse 16. Beloved, do not be surprised by the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree, degree that you share the sufferings of Christ... Keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exultation. All right. So don't be surprised that you're going to suffer for Jesus because the world hates Jesus. Right. So you're seeing a pattern here that suffering is inevitable for the believer in Jesus Christ. You can't avoid it. All right. If if you never, ever, ever face any type of persecution. The question could be laid out is, how well am I living out my faith in a world that so desperately hates Jesus? Right? Okay. So now let's look at the verse next, verse 16. If anyone suffers as a Christian, he's not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. All right? So... Uh, if we are suffering for the gospel of Jesus Christ, don't be surprised by it. The world hates it, but rejoice. Do you see the pattern here? Rejoice in your suffering. All right, let's go to to the book of Hebrews, and in Hebrews, uh, we the author also addresses suffering in Hebrews chapter ten, verses thirty-two to thirty-nine, and this draws us back into uh, the church at Smyrna. All right, verse thirty-two. But remember, Church, the former days, when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of suffering, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly becoming, by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. Uh, you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. Therefore, don't throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while he who is coming will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith And to the persevering of the soul all right so let's look at what what uh, the author of Hebrews tells us about these people who were suffering all right remember the former days when you received and you were enduring a great conflict Uh, some of the people that were suffering at the time that this letter to the Hebrews was written they were facing suffering just because they associated with other Christians who were living out their faith. It tells us right there in verse 33, you were made public spectacles through reproaches and tribulations. And partly your suffering, you became shares in tribulation and suffering uh, with those who were treated that way already. So just by associating with someone, people were, facing suffering during the time of Hebrew, the Hebrews all right the when it was written the other thing is that we see in verse 34 that some of these people were having their property taken away as a part of their suffering all right so the stuff that was happening to to the people that the Hebrew author wrote to this these same things could have been happening to the church at Smyrna, all right. the The church was being persecuted, uh, and they were in deep poverty for what was happening. Maybe they were having all of their possessions taken away, but they were suffering in the tribulation because of their association and living their life for the glory of Jesus Christ, and they were suffering for that. They were facing opposition, but they were also having things taken away from them so that they were living in deep poverty. I mean, do you do you think that we can get past?'ve we've, we've been going here for about uh, 30 minutes or so and we are just in the first two verses, people. We're just in the two, first two verses in setting setting this all up. He's the first and the last, the dead and I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich. What they have is so much greater. Just as the author, the author of Hebrews said, uh, "What you have, they cannot take away. What you have is coming when the Son of Man uh, comes." So even though you are rich, uh, blas- you're being blasphemed by those. They say they are Jews, but they're not. They are of the synagogue of Satan. So let's just pause and and look at that for for one moment and what they're what they're being told here is that these Jews they're not really Jews. They're not practicing the law at all. Remember in the beginning of this historical breakdown we we heard about Jews who were partnering partnering with city officials and the sole goal was to wipe out the Christian faith. They just wanted to destroy the Christian faith, and even though they look like Jews on the outside, remember Jesus is doing an X-ray. They're do they they look like Jews? They probably dress like Jews on the outside. Maybe they speak like Jews on the outside sometimes, but their motivation from the heart, from the heart and the inside and out, they are no part of God's team, but they are. A part of the synagogue of Satan. They are on Satan's side, soul-bent on destroying the Christian faith. This is what this church was up against, this suffering church. Uh, Great tribulation, great poverty, but Jesus says they are rich. All right, now let's go to the reproof and let's look at the reproof within this church. And we can't go very far to find it because there isn't one. There is no reproof. There is no point in this letter that Jesus stops and says to this church that you are not suffering well. Get back at it. You need to do a better job. Stop your complaining and just suffer well for the gospel of Jesus Christ. He doesn't do that. Why? Because the more this church suffers the more they suffer for the gospel of Jesus Christ, the more this suffering binds this church together and the stronger they get. All right? There's no reproof. There's nothing negative to say to this church because this suffering is binding this church together and helping them to grow stronger. And the stronger they grow together in unity within this suffering, the better they can take that on the shoulders knowing that Jesus knows what they are going through. (laughs) I mean, this is absolutely amazing, the fact that there's no uh, reproof in this. There's only commendation. And so what we have here is then Jesus, he says, I know the tribulation and your poverty, but you're rich. The blasphemy by those who say that they are Jews, but they are not, but they are of the synagogue of Satan. Uh, Do not fear. What you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison, so that you will be tested, you'll have tribulation for ten days, be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. I mean, we, we we've got to look at this uh, again and we've got to pause and think: did you see what Jesus just did? Did you see what Jesus just told this church? There's no reproof. The, the commendation is, hey, look, I know what you're going through. How do I know? I went through it. I suffered. Look at the name. He's the first and the last. He's the one who was dead, and who, and he's the one who came back to life. He knows a little something about suffering. We went through all those cross-references that show us, hey, Jesus was hated. The world hates him, so they're going to hate you. Uh, he knows about suffering, but he says, hey, church, church, pay attention to this. Pay attention closely. Don't be afraid. You're suffering well now, but you're going to endure more suffering. Uh, Jesus says that uh, some of you, the devil is at work, but some of you are going to be put into prison. Why? Because of your faith. Why are they going to be put into prison? Because the world hates Jesus, and therefore, because of your association with Jesus, the world hates you. So they're going to be put into prison, Uh, they're going to be tested. The furnace is going to be turned up of their tribulation uh, for 10 days. We don't want to get dogmatic on what does it mean for 10 days. We just know that the suffering is going to continue. We're not going to spend all kinds of time trying to figure out what that 10 days about, because I'm not sure it's all of that much importance. Maybe it is, but for 10 days, they're going to uh, suffer greatly. But this is the thing that he says, listen to what Jesus says, be faithful, be faithful when until the death. So some people in this church, they're not just going to prison, but they are going to die for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he says, be faithful to the end. Another way for for us to look at this is to persevere. uh, To to endure through the suffering that you're going to be going through. Why? Because when you endure till the end, Jesus says, I will give you the crown of life. All right, so let's look at uh, some principles in which uh, the scriptures tell us how to endure through suffering. All right, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1, uh, verse 7, Paul lays out for Timothy. Uh, he says, join me in suffering for the gospel uh, get off your chair and get out there and join me in suffering for the gospel. And this is what he uh, he says, okay, Second Timothy uh, 1 uh, verse seven. He says, "For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. Uh, what is what has God given us? Okay, He has given us tools to help us endure. He's not given us a spirit of fear, but he's given us a spirit of power, love, and discipline. He says, Don't be ashamed to be the testimony of our Lord or of me, but join me in suffering for the gospel according to Jesus. Why? Because God gives you power, he gives you love, and he gives you discipline. All right, so here's those are ways to endure. Remember this. Paul says also in Philippians, in Philippians chapter 4, uh, verse 13. And Paul, after he lays out his resume of all the suffering that he endures, he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. All right. So in light of this verse used out of context so often in the context of suffering for the gospel of Jesus Christ, how can you endure all the suffering? Easy. I can do all things because it's Christ who strengthens me. He gives me the power. He gives me a spirit of power. I can I can accomplish this because of what Jesus gives me. All right, Second Corinthians chapter one, uh, verse three to uh, verse seven. So first Second Corinthians, chapter one, uh, verses three to seven. He says, uh, "Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort." Now listen to what God, the God of all comfort does. Uh, He's the one who comforts us in all our affliction so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also is our comfort in abundance through Jesus Christ. If we are afflicted, It is for our for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which is effectively patiently enduring the same sufferings, which we also suffer. Our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you are sharers of our sufferings, so you are also sharers of our comfort. Uh, What 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 are we saying here is that because we are suffering. Uh, we have the comfort of Jesus Christ to know that as we suffer, we also have that comfort that comes along with it. Uh, when we are afflicted for the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are comforted by God. Second uh, Corinthians chapter, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 uh, verse 13. And listen to what uh, Paul tells us about suffering and uh, temptation. No temptation has overtaken you as it is common to man. But God is faithful, and he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will provide a way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. Uh, Endure suffering. Endure temptation. Uh, God is the God of comfort. He has given us the power and the strength. He's not given us a spirit of fear. All of these things for us to be able to handle the suffering. Let's look at uh, the Gospels and Jesus in Luke chapter, uh, Luke chapter 12. And listen to what Jesus says as he sends out uh, the disciples. He says in verse 4, I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that, have no more that they can do. But I warn you whom to fear. Fear the one who, after he was killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, uh, fear him. Are you not, are not five sparrows sold for two cents? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Where do we, we need to place our, our reverence for? Not in those who can kill us through uh, the suffering of death. Physically, but we should fear the one and revere the one who can kill us spiritually. All right. Here's here's the thing in the book of James in Thessalonians and first Peter. We see all of those books. They tell us one way to react when we're in the midst of suffering. And all three of those authors tell us to rejoice in the midst of suffering. Uh, Even though this suffering can lead to death, rejoice, glorify God, revere the one who can kill spiritually. Uh, Romans chapter 8, verses 28 uh, to 29. We we know these verses. We can probably rhyme them off, but he says, and, and they're powerful verses. He says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to God. Uh, All things work together for his purpose. But then he says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be uh, conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many believers. Do you know what suffering does? (laughs) According to Paul in Romans chapter 8, all things work for Good, All things work for uh, God's purpose, but suffering, what it does for us is it conforms us to the image of his son. It conforms us to him that we are in likeness of him, uh, a part of that uh, firstborn that we looked at uh, from the very beginning. The, The commendation here that continues through is that you are a suffering church that what you are what you are going through i know can you imagine hearing those words from jesus in the midst of of the suffering i know what you're going through i know that the i know the tribulation i know that the, the pressing the crushing the the breaking that is happening in your your life right now i know that maybe you're suffering Deeply, maybe there's some great sacrifice that's bringing you into the position of poverty, and yet you are rich. Why? Because this is conforming you into the likeness of Jesus, and that what you have on this earth is only temporal, but what you have to come is eternal. I mean, wouldn't that just as you get that to come through, that Jesus says, I'm the first. I'm the last. I'm the one who died and rose again. I know what you're going through. I know the suffering that you are going through. I know that you are in deep poverty. But here, hangeth thou in there. Keep the faith. Persevere. How? Because I've not given you a spirit of timidity, but I've given you a spirit of power, love, and discipline. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You have the God of comfort by your side. All of these things wrapped together. Church, hang on. Why? Because you're about to endure more. More. Some of you are going to go to prison. Some of you are going to die for your faith. But the promise, the promise that comes, that if you die for your faith, you already have life. I will give you the crown of life. I mean just pause for that one moment before we we look at the promise to the overcomer and I want you to think about this but maybe you as you are listening to this podcast that you are being crushed, that you are being persecuted, that you are suffering greatly because of your association with Jesus Christ, that you feel that maybe you're you're falling into a, a deep spiritual poverty and you're questioning God, where are you in the midst of this? Maybe you are wondering whether you are going to be able to hang on financially. Have you taken a have you done grocery shopping lately? Have you gone to the gas station lately? All of these things where Everything is pressing in the economy. Maybe it's as simple as I haven't, I'm out of work and I'm suffering and, and I gave up my, my job for, for the stance of what I believe that I needed to stand on. Whatever the case may be, God is with you. God is with those who profess his name and live out his life and live a life that glorifies him. He says to you, listener of this podcast, I know your tribulation. I know your poverty. Let me remind you, you are richer than anybody in this world. Because when you endure to the end, I will give you the crown of life. <laughs> I mean, this is this is. Absolutely uh, so encouraging for us to, to draw this together. Let me, let me bring us to, to David, and let's look at Psalm 56, and, and listen to what David uh, writes, and, and he sings, and he prays in Psalm 56. He says, Be gracious to me, O God, for man has trampled upon me. Fighting all day long, he oppresses me. My foes have trampled upon me all day long, for they are many who fight proudly against me. But when I'm afraid, when that spirit of timidity picks up and it begins to overcome and it stops me from remembering that I have power, love, and discipline, that I have the God of comfort by my side, David says, I will put my trust in you. In God's word, who I praise in God. I have put my trust and I shall not be afraid. What can mere man do to me all day long? They distort my words and all their thoughts are against me, uh, are evil. They attack, they lurk, they watch my steps as they have waited to take my life because of the wickedness, uh, cast them forth in anger and put down the people's, Oh, God, you've taken an account of my wanderings. You've put my tears in your bottle and they uh, are not in your book. Then my enemies will turn back in the day and will call this. I know that God is for me in God, whose word I praise in the Lord, whose word I praise in God. I have put my trust. I shall not be afraid because what can mere man do to me? Your vows are binding on me. Oh, God. I will render thank offerings to you. Indeed, my feet are kept for you, have delivered my soul from death. Indeed, my feet from stumbling so that I may walk before you in the light of the living. Can you say that? Can you say that of your life in the midst of suffering, that you have put your trust in Jesus? You see, Jesus, he is the first and he is the last. He is the one who defeated death and he is now alive. He is the firstborn of all creation. He is the firstborn of the dead. And because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and our faith in him, our allegiance and alliance to Jesus Christ, we will have life. That no matter what happens in this world, what can mere man do to me? Because when I keep my focus on the eternal, nothing matters in this life the promise that he says to the overcomer. He says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt by the second death. (laughs) Let Let me leave you with this quote, and then we'll pray. Keep this in mind. Write it down. Put it in your Bible. What Jesus is saying here is that those who are born twice die once. Those who are born once die twice. Which one are you? Have you been born twice? Your physical birth and then your spiritual birth? Your allegiance to Jesus Christ? Because if that's you, you are born twice and you die once. You will die a physical death, however that may be. Maybe you'll live your life to the fullest. Maybe you'll die for suffering for the gospel of Jesus Christ. But you'll only die once. And then you'll live for eternity, because Jesus will give you the crown of life. But those who do not profess Jesus Christ, he makes it clear. Those who are born once will die twice. They will be resurrected a second time, and then be judged and cast into the lake of fire. One is the crown of life. The other is the lake of fire. The choice is obvious, isn't it? Persevere to the end. This is the message that Jesus gives to the suffering church. And the message still applies to us today as our suffering for the gospel of Jesus Christ will increase. Hangeth thou in there, folks. Persevere to the end. The promises are tremendous. Hang on to them as you suffer for Jesus. Father, we do thank you again for this time that we have had together in your word. And Lord, we are so thankful for your son, Jesus Christ, that even though... uh, He was taken to the cross. This this was your predetermined plan. Die for sin, to be buried and resurrected according to the scriptures. We thank you that he is the firstborn of the dead, that through his blood we have eternal life. Father, help us to persevere. Help us to remember the truth that it is you who strengthens us and comforts us and gives us the discipline and the power to be able to endure suffering. Father, I pray for those who are suffering right now, that you would help them to remember these promises, that they would keep their eyes focused on you, that they would rejoice in their suffering, and that they would glorify you in their obedience to your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are so grateful you joined us in today's episode of Unlocking the Truth, the podcast by Precept Ministries Canada. Visit our website, preceptministries.ca, to get more details on the 2023 Holy Land Tour, and be sure to register for an upcoming summer workshop, whether in person or online. You will find one that best suits where you are in your precept journey. Know God deeply, live differently.